today's today's sermon is entitled Force. I want to talk today about force. Force. It seems that we as a culture, um, as a people, have swung from far right, we've swung to far left, um, you know, we've gone as far right as we can go, far left as we can go, but now it seems like we're just ambivalent. It seems like we're in a place of indifference. Um, I can recall starting out so strong in some things and then seeing things not go the way I thought they would. I pull back and I just become, you know, unattached. And it seems as if our aggressiveness toward a position or a stance has been aborted. Um, many have stalled in the middle of things where there is no force. In other words, rather than taking a position on anything, you've stalled in the middle of things and there is no action, force, or energy. It's, it's, the, it's what I call the what difference does it make space. It's the space where what difference does it make is the attitude. And we have chosen to leave things to their own success or demise. And regardless of how the outcomes affect us, we are removing ourselves from causes and uh, beliefs. And, and we are finding our places of retreat where um, we isolate and become ineffective because in essence, we have lost our force. So when I talk about force, I'm talking about aggressiveness. I'm talking about passion. I'm talking about energy. And so by definition, force is coercion through strength. It is when you make something change by energy or by strength. It is infiltration by power. You force your way into something by power. Have you ever heard the phrase forcing God's hand? Uh, that means, you know, you forced God's hand that, 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 that maybe you prayed so much about something you you forced God's hand. It's it's symbolic in in some way. Uh, that means that you're living in a way that demands movement and action on God's part. In other words, it's it's not living in an apath apathetic way or lethargic way. It is that you are living a life of faith and transparency where you are vocal and believe and care about something. God is more than willing to participate in our actions of godly faith if we remove ourselves from that I don't care zone or it doesn't matter zone. And so many people say, uh, I don't vote because my vote won't matter anyway. You don't know what God will do with your one little vote. It only takes one. It was God through Jesus. One man brought salvation to the world. It's always one man or one woman who stands up at the time that God needs them. Esther, the Bible says, it may be that you're, you are called for such a time as this, that there are reasons for why you are here. And if you are too apathetic or if you have lost your mojo per se, you lose your force. And force, again, is that ability to coerce by strength 
strength to infiltrate by takeover. It is to be able to understand that there are more with us than there are with the devil. God says, uh, if God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in the in, in us than he that is in the world. So the question I'd like to investigate today is, does your life generate force? Somebody say force. Does your life generate force? Now, either for you or against you. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Does your life make you or others aggressive toward a cause, a belief, or a movement? Or are you only concerned about you enough that the causes and the stuff in the world no longer matters to you? You don't turn on the news, even for a little while. I mean, just to get, I'm not saying you have to watch it all day, but are there things that you connect yourself to, to make you aware of what you need to pray about. You know, oftentimes I ask people, people say, pray for me. And then I'm praying. And then I say, well, give me an update. Tell me what's happening. I need to know how to keep praying. Don't just say pray and then just leave me hanging. I want to be engaged because I know that when I'm engaged, I'm engaging with force. So I'd like to visit a place in scripture where I believe Jesus addresses to some degree this very question about whether your life is actually a life that generates force. So let me begin with this setting of the context. I want to give you the setting. The setting of the context talks about Jesus is finally introduced on the map. We're going to be able to see a gentleman by the name of John the Baptist. There's this level of uncertainty floating around. And the context of this passage we're about to read is sat in a position of where the disciples may be getting ready to suffer. Uh, The disciples are getting ready to be sent out now because Jesus is here. And John the Baptist has found himself in jail. So this is after Jesus had been introduced by John the Baptist, um, JB as I call him, uh, JB, uh, John the Baptist uh, 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 was responsible for putting Jesus on the map. Remember, John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus in the water. He said, come behold a man of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unlatch. He says, come and see this man. And so John the Baptist is responsible for putting Jesus on the map. And so John had followers and then Jesus had followers. So the followers of John the Baptist began to follow Jesus after Jesus came on the scene. It's going to make sense in a minute. So the the text today is in Matthew chapter 11, but the context, I want to look at what happens in chapter 10 and happens in chapter 12. So look at this now, talking in Matthew 10, Jesus is talking with the disciples. He's saying to them, I'm about to send you out in the world. You need to preach this gospel. You'll be dealing with, watch this, you'll be dealing with forces. You'll be dealing with people who don't like you. You will be imprisoned. You will be judged for preaching the gospel. In other words, you will experience suffering. So suffering is a kind of force. There's an element of force that they will be having to contend with. Then he goes to talk to the crowd. So after he talks to the disciples, he then goes to talk to the crowds and the onlookers, the Jews, the travelers who travel by night and looky-loos and groupies who come to see who Jesus is. So Jesus will be talking in this text to two audiences. He's going to be talking to disciples and then he's going to be talking to the larger crowd. This is the initial release of sending the sending the disciples um, out to the Gentiles. Uh, so this new message you know, people are following for different reasons. People are coming to follow Jesus because he can heal them. People are coming to follow Jesus because he, he feeds them. People come to follow Jesus because he's a good speaker. And so Jesus is having to navigate all of these differences of opinions from Jews and Gentiles. The disciples don't understand what they're about to do. Emotions are high. Put people in, he has to put people in their place and establish a groundwork. This is the beginning of Jesus's life on earth. 
and things are changing. And so he has to transition from John the Baptist to his own ministry. And he's sandwiched in the middle of questions. So in chapter 12, he has to fight the Pharisees about eating corn on the Sabbath and about healing the withered man's hand on the Sabbath. And so Jesus responds to them. He says, man, the Sabbath don't exist for me. I created the Sabbath for me to do what I need to do. I'm not run by the Sabbath. And so all of these issues are pervading the thoughts and the minds of all the people around. And so Jesus begins to articulate to both the disciples and the crowd of what is important. This uncertainty needs to be cleared up. And so the context is in a place of high emotions, uncertainty, newness, and aggressiveness of people who don't understand. People now know who Jesus is. John introduced him. So revelation is in play. But oftentimes when you experience revelation, there comes rebellion because when people don't understand what you have revealed, they rebel against it because they don't understand it. Ah, man, I feel like teaching for a minute. So now there comes rebellion and that's what chapter 11 is about. That in the middle of chapter 10 of instructions and 12 of the Pharisees attacking is Jesus trying to communicate the clarity that will dispel this rebellion or what we will call this sense of negative force that comes up against a kingdom that John the Baptist began with faithful service. So the response of Jesus was to turn from trying to address all the nation's questions and instead look to the cross because the cross would give clarity. And as I said earlier, John the Baptist is now in prison. One who was faithfully serving God is now locked up. And can you imagine what he's saying in his mind? I thought we was good. How can I, how can I be serving you and I go to jail? So after Jesus has this discussion, and, and again, that's, that's like the... The civil rights leaders, that's like people who have done great things. For doing the right thing, they get penalized. For, for making change, they get incarcerated. For making change, cancel the culture cancels them. You know, there's this all when whenever there's force, when people don't like what you're saying, when people don't like what you're bringing, they apply a force to you. And and still we need to understand how does our life generate force? So after Jesus has this discussion about about the impending dangers of being uh, his disciples and alerting them to that they would be put in prison and all this kind of trouble. They leave to go preach to the crowd. So now let's jump into the today's text from this context. I've given you the context, just the backdrop, the background of it. And now here's the text that we're getting into today. Verse 1, 11, 1 through 6. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, as I just said, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, while imprisoned, heard the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. So John the Baptist in prison heard Jesus out there preaching. John the Baptist sends his disciples to go ask a question. Verse 3, and said to him, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? John the Baptist is confused. Are you the Messiah or not? Because I'm locked up and I'm confused. Verse four, Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. Verse five, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And verse 6 says, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So listen, we get this whole concept of this, this uh, John the Baptist in, in prison. He sends his disciples to ask Jesus this question. So these verses, Matthew 11, 1 through 6, address what I call the question of force. This is the question of force. And so John is now in prison and would soon actually be beheaded. So it gets worse. He's in prison and he's about to be martyred. He is displaying uncertainty and he asks the question, I believe to be related to force. Now watch this, stick with me here. It's a question of force because 
uh, John the Baptist was confused about Jesus's coming. He asked, are you the one or should we look for another of another kind? In other words, what John the Baptist really was asking, he was saying, I thought when the Messiah came, he was going to come and take over. John the Baptist was asking a question of force. He couldn't see the force behind Jesus standing, not rich, not on a throne, clothed in carpenter's clothing, sandals in the dirt. It didn't make sense. And John the Baptist was saying, I heard the prophecy say that when the Messiah comes, he was going to set up his kingdom. But instead, I don't see you doing that. You're acting more like a servant. Oh, and that is confusing me. And so John the Baptist was confused because he doesn't see servants servants as having force. Ah, God. And so John had an expectation of force because people often associate change with force. I'm trying to get you to see that force is an element of aggressiveness. It's an element of believing in something. It's pushing against the norm. It's pressing toward the mark for the high calling. It's establishing change. It's the will to it's the desire to see better. I feel him. No changes, no force. No force, no changes. People often talk about, I want things to change, but they aren't willing to do anything to enact the change. You cannot ask God to make things better and you aren't willing to do what needs to be done to make it better. So Jesus responds by saying, tell John, (laughs) go back and tell John, I am the one. Sorry, Neo, you are not the one. Jesus is the one. And he said the force he is looking for, tell John the Baptist that the force he is looking for can be seen in this. Tell him the sick are being healed. The dead are being raised. The the blind are being given sight. The gospel is being preached. He said that's force, but you are misinterpreting force. And sometimes we think that because people aren't rich or because people haven't done big things that they aren't making force. They aren't making progress. They aren't infiltrating. Ah, come on. And Jesus knew what kind of force John the Baptist was looking for. Jesus would show him that kind of force as well later. But a different group of people was establishing the force that John the Baptist was looking for. And sometimes we misinterpret people's silence for lack of of power. We think that people who don't just clap back on you real quick don't have any force. I came to tell you that it is the servant who is often quiet, who has the most force. And Jesus concluded by saying, he said, tell him this too. He said, blessed is the man that doesn't let my quote unquote lack of force or servanthood type of style, ministry style, make you stumble. In other words, he said, don't stumble over. In other words, John the Baptist, you sitting in prison and your, your wheels are turning and now you don't know whether I am who I said I am or not. You're stumbling over what you see. You're stumbling over the fact that I'm a servant. You're stumbling over my lack of force. But the text said, blessed is the man that doesn't let the small things that don't look like anything has happened cause them to doubt God and stumble over where they are. Yes, you may be in prison, John, but that don't mean I didn't do come to do what I said I was going to do. That doesn't mean that my kingdom will not be established. It doesn't mean that you baptized me for nothing. It doesn't mean that you have developed a follower, a followership for no reason. You have done your job and don't 
compare the success of your job with the job of another that succeeds you. God, watch this now. So, but since John's disciples asked Jesus, this since the disciples came to ask Jesus this question in front of the crowd, the disciples interrupted his teaching in front of the crowd. John's disciples asked, are you the one in front of the crowd? Now Jesus has to put out another fire because the people are now confused saying, well, we thought John the Baptist was your forerunner. And now it looks like your forerunner, they don't even believe you are who you say you are. So how can we receive in the crowd the teaching that you're giving us and we don't even believe your own people, your own leaders, your own staff don't know who you are. And no doubt Jesus is in a conundrum. He's sitting there being the Messiah. He's being the son of God and people don't believe it. And so this gener- this would generate even more force, but of a different kind. I want you to understand that sometimes when people don't understand, it creates a force of a different kind. So while Jesus was emitting his force in servanthood, there was a different kind of force that was bubbling up. Let me show you this next scripture. The scripture says in verse 7, Matthew 11, 7 through 11, he says, and these men were going away. Jesus began to speak to the crowd. So as the disciples were going away to tell John the Baptist's message, as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. And he said to the crowd, he said, in other words, I got to pump John up here. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? He says, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. He says, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Talking about John the Baptist. He says, yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. Verse 10 says, this is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And verse 11, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So the text then raises, listen, the text says, as John's disciples were walking away to go back and give John Jesus's report, Jesus begins to bring clarity to the confused crowd who overheard the conversation. He brings clarity by addressing what I call qualification of force. First, we had the question of force. Now we have the qualification of force. Watch this now. Jesus had to remind the people of who John the Baptist was. And so the people were beginning to doubt and question, well, John is in jail and he don't even know if you are who you say you are. So Jesus has to establish the qualification of what John's force looks like. And he began a discourse of why John was the man for the job and that he was who he was known to be because of his qualification. And so this type of lifestyle qualifies you for generating some level of force from some direction. Watch this, I'm setting you up. That John the Baptist, the qualification of being who John was, established his ability to set force into action. So Jesus asked the crowd, he said, what did you go out to see? He said, what what did you expect from John? What kind of person do you think John is? And John wasn't, he said, John is not like a, a reed of paper in the wind that blows away. John, listen, what's the qualification of force that you're not timid, that you're not just like a, 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 a shallow how, a person who doesn't have Wait to your life. The wind blows and you quit. He says, you went out to see John. He wasn't a man too bougie to deal with life. He said, did you go to see a man in fine clothing? He said, people in fine clothing lives in king's palaces. He says, but John the Baptist was in the wilderness with you. John the Baptist got down and got his hands dirty with you. The qualification of force is not people who hide in offices, in penthouses, on the top of regimes and businesses, but people who 
make a difference are on the front line and they aren't afraid to get their hands dirty. So the text said not only was John the Baptist not bougie, but he was a prophet and he was more than a prophet. In fact, there is no other person born of a woman who was greater than him. The text said the only person that would be greater than him would be the one who lowers himself to be the least among all. So the people, watch this, God, Jesus is reiterating that the people with the most force, the greatest of you are the ones who are able to go the lowest of you. So the force, quit looking for force in big bank accounts. Quit looking for force in big houses and big cars and big status and criteria. The force is in the humility of a man or a woman. And he says, Jesus wanted the crowd and his disciples to know what kind of man John was because it was the qualification of John's persona that established this force. And we're going to show you the force in the next passage. I love it. It's getting good. John was a man of conviction. That's what he's saying. And people of conviction attract force. That's a quotable, Shana, write that. When people of conviction attract force, force. People who have no opinions, people who have no stances, people who don't stand up for anything, people who don't have beliefs don't require or draw force. Ain't nobody worried about you. You ain't doing nothing. But then the text says this, watch this. The text says in verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by what? Force. There it is. And so verse 13 says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so now we've gone from the question of force and we've gone to the qualification of force to now we come to the quarrel of force. (laughs) Somebody say teach PC. The text said that from the time of John the Baptist to now, there was a quarrel in the kingdom. John's life created what I call a quarrel of force. So Jesus was praising John the Baptist because he understood that what John did was so good. (laughs) This my friend used to say, Erica used to say, so good. John, what John did was so good. And it's amazing to me how when you're in prison, you forget how good your life is. When you're a little broke, you forget how good God has been to you. Uh, When you get dumped, you forget how good God has been to you. When you get fired on the job, you forget. In other words, your focus is so on one thing, you forget about the plethora of blessings God has given you. And so John, what John did was so good, it actually brought consternation. It brought trepidation and angst and a violent force. Are you doing anything that stirs up trouble? Don't you remember John Lewis who said, get in trouble, but it's called good trouble. The life John represented made people mad. Does your life prick people? Does your life tick people off? So a well-lived life generates force. Let me explain from the text. Look at the text in verse 12. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. In other words, the text says, from the days of John entering the scene until the days of Jesus, right now, he says, it started with John. What is happening? The kingdom suffers violence. The kingdom is suffering pressure. The kingdom is experiencing force. Why? From the days of John. In other words, it started with John. What have you started that has created a ripple effect? Uh, 
come on. Is there anything that the kingdom begins to suffer violently? In other words, the kingdom was engaged in forceful combat because John the Baptist lived. But remember, John the Baptist is in prison, wondering, questioning whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus says, remember, Jesus is saying this, this Scripture is in the middle of Jesus giving accolades to John the Baptist. So it must preclude that the violence against the kingdom is part of John's credits. It's part of John's adulation. I watched um, the uh, Achievement Award being given to um, uh, Julie Andrews this week. Joy loved it. She was almost in tears. And it began to list the things that she had done that were good. And I'm saying that in these credits, Jesus is giving credit to John the Baptist and on his slate of things was that the kingdom was suffering violence because John, from the days of John to now, the kingdom is in trouble. It's suffering and it's battling. So this is a part of John's adulation. This violence appears in the middle of Jesus validating and affirming John. So the violence had to have been the force or or had to be to John credit, even though the force may not have been for good. And this is what I want you to see. This forceful violence what listen that either uh either that was either by people who wanted what the kingdom had in other words this could have been people who were saying oh man jesus is so good let me let me get in there let me go in there. let me let me let me get this i want this or people in the crowds just being a massive crowd wanting to get to jesus and and the bible says you know jesus said with the woman with the issue of blood he said somebody touch me and the disciples said man it's all kind of people trying to touch you he said no but virtue left me he said power left me. In other words, Jesus was surrounded by crowds who were trying to get to him. I watched Nicki Minaj. Uh, she went to somewhere uh, in, in some uh, another country and they could, they could she couldn't even get out the car. They were mobbing her. They were trying to get to her. Oh man, I'm telling does your life create a mob? Does your life establish any kind of thronging to where people want what you have? And then I saw also on Twitter about uh, a Lady Gaga trying to leave a hotel. She was jumping through windows. It was a meme or whatever. But the point is, you know that there are good people who can be attacked because of their goodness. They're not attacking Nicki Minaj because they want to kill her because she's an evil person. They're not attacking Jesus because he's an evil person. Maybe these were people who wanted what he had. But there also could have been another group who did want to destroy the kingdom. And I think that's what the text is emphasizing, that the kingdom was under force. It was under battleground. Why? Because John the Baptist did what he was supposed to do. So either way, the prophets and the law the Bible said, prophesied until John, before John. In other words, before John came on the scene, watch this, before John came on the scene, the prophets and the law prophesied about Jesus coming. Then John the Baptist got on the scene and introduced Jesus. And so now, the kingdom is here. So the prophet said the kingdom is coming. John said the kingdom is here. Kingdom is coming. Jesus says I'm here. So I want you to get you to I want you to see that there's this element of what happened before John that there isn't this violent turmoil. There isn't this uh, establishment of turmoil while John the Baptist is preaching, but the violence begins to happen when the kingdom arrives. And what I'm trying to say is that in your life when you live out the kingdom, you ought to expect force. Somebody say force. That there's force that comes around you when you start living out the kingdom because the devil is mad. Why? Because the kingdom is here. The devil is mad when we pray for Daddy Cain. The devil is mad when we go to anoint people with oil. The devil is mad when we stand in faith. The enemy stands against us. And the Bible says when the enemy would come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises a standard to say, nah, devil, not here. 
here today. We represent the kingdom of God. So I want you to see it was the beginning of the gospel. And wherever the gospel is being preached or lived, you should expect a force. So this text covers two periods. It covers the period before John and it covers the the period leading up to John. It leads from John to where Jesus is. And now it's about to get personal. So we went from the prophets and the law to John the Baptist to Jesus. And now Jesus makes a personal appeal to the crowd, which brings me to my final point. Yes, sir. Now, verse 13 says, check this out. For all the prophets and the law, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John 14, uh, until John. And if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah. Hang on. Let me go. Went back to the verse. All right. Jesus creates to the crowd what I call now the quandary of force. So we have the question. We have the qualification. We have the quarrel. But now we're faced with the quandary, the quandary. So Jesus creates to the crowd what I call the quandary force because every day we have to determine if we will be people of force or victims of force. I'll say that again. Every day we have to determine if we will be people of force or victims of force. Force is everywhere. Force is everywhere and it works both for good and for bad. Just because there's force doesn't mean it's God's will. But even bad force can be a part of God's will. So you can't be afraid of good or bad force. Force is force. And you have to learn how to live with force. You know why? Because force is everywhere. And not all force is seen. Ah, And we must also solve the quandary of if we will be a loud and visible force or whether we will be an undetectable and powerful force. The wind cannot be seen, but a wind will tear your house up from the ground. Now, won't it? Because you can be a force without being up front and on the microphone. So Jesus poses this quandary of force to the listening crowd. And the question has more to do with what kind of force are you going to be? So look at the text. Look at our final text. But to what, he says, verse 16, but to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions, and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. In other words, you don't have no reaction. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, well, he's got a demon. Remember, far right. And then far left, here we go. The son of man, talking about Jesus, came eating and drinking. He was far left. And they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of the tax collectors and a sinner and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. So what I'm trying to get you to see, Jesus asked them, so what, what can I compare you as a generation to? Let's make this personal. In other words, you questioning John, you questioning the, the, the stability of John the Baptist. You, he's in prison. You saw his disciples come and ask me a question. Now you got an opinion of judgment on John the Baptist. I asked you, what did you go to see? I've already validated his credibility. Now you don't believe me. I am the Messiah right in front of you and you don't believe me. So now get off John, get off me. Let me point the finger at you. What kind of generation are you? What what kind of generation shall I compare you to? What will I be able to see you as? Or to what can I compare you to? And so the text says this. 
In other words, what kind of generation are you? Will you be one of force? Will you be one like John? Will you be one who is credible? Will you be like him, like not a reed in the wind blown everywhere? Will you be more than a prophet? Will you be one who vacillates? Will you be one who's uncertain? Or will you be neither of those? So Jesus says to the crowd, you guys are like children. Here's what he says. The text says, you are like children. And you only want it your way. Watch this now, because force has something to do with selfishness. Um, Jesus says to the crowd, you are like children. You only want it your way. He goes into this dispossession. He says, neither John's way nor my way is acceptable to you. You tell John, John comes and John don't smoke. He don't drink. He don't, he don't eat. He, he, he lives by the book and you call him a demon. You say he's filled with the devil. Now, if I'm too religious, you, I'm, I'm, I'm too religious. I'm, I'm filled with the devil. And then if I say, okay, well, I'm going to be normal and I'm going to go visit the publicans and the sinners. I'm going to go have lunch with some people who, you know, club and smoke and drink. And now you say of me, you say that I'm a drunk, that I'm a wine bibber, that I hang with the people who are sinners. Which one is it? You, you, which one, in other words, because you can't get what you want out of John the Baptist and because you can't get what you want out of me, then you're going to take your own view and say, ah, it doesn't matter anyway. In other words, you refuse to take sides. And so now you have lost your force. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm trying to put this in a practical element. It's a very difficult text, but I'm trying to do my best to make it simplistic enough to you to be able to see that when you can't believe something that you know is right, when you can't believe something that you know is wrong, you decide, <laughs> you decide I won't believe anything and you lose your power. There is no force in your way of doing things unless, in other words, unless your way aligns with the will and the truth of God, which is God's way, you will lose your force. And so even the force of the Pharisees was forced because that force would help to lead Jesus to the cross. And that was God's will. So what I'm trying to get you to see is that even though these people were attacking Jesus, it was a part of God's will. It is when you get selfish. It is when you go into yourself and say, I will I don't have a response. When you when you no longer have answers for difficult questions, you have lost your force. When you no longer can reason or consciously deduce a, a thought or 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 a, 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 a situation, a crisis uh, down to something that makes sense to you, you have lost your force. Indifference leads to selfishness. And when you don't care about right, when you don't care about wrong, all you you do is care about you. Come on, preach, Pastor Cherry. And selfishness has no need for force because selfish people only work on your behalf. When you live for you, you don't need force because force is about taking over another area. You don't need to take over yourself. You need force to make penetration in God, man, is anybody getting this? A selfish generation. That's what this generation looks like. All is all about me is selfie day all day every day. A selfish generation will see suffering by force of another and do nothing to stop it. A selfish generation will watch someone who is being raped or murdered or in trouble and walk right by it and say it ain't my problem. Oh God, I'm telling you, I'm trying to get you to see. That's when you awaken to the things that passion have passion for you. What troubles you? What disturbs you? What in your life makes you get irate. That's the thing that you have a thought about. And that's usually where your force resides. Your force resides in the things that affect your temperament. It makes you uneasy and uncomfortable. But selfish people don't care about others. They can only see suffering of another as not mattering to them. But the text said the kingdom was suffering violence by people who were trying to reject it and the very people who should have been defending it didn't believe either of God's servants who were actually sent to establish the kingdom. The point I'm trying to make is that Jesus was preaching to the crowd and in the crowd was a bunch of Jews. So who more than anybody should have been defending Jesus the Messiah but the Jews who he came to rescue. But it was the Jews who put him on the cross. This 
attitude or disposition says, well, send him to Pilate. Let Pilate handle him or whatever. We don't have a choice. We don't want to make a decision. And so all of these people who should have been fighting on his behalf sat there and just said, well, we don't know. We don't believe John the Baptist. We don't believe you. They had missed it big time. Therefore, I conclude with this. I'm wrapping this up, Lou. Here's my conclusion. There is a famous quote from George Lucas' creation. The Grizz, you might know this. Star Wars, maybe you have seen a couple of those. He says to, uh, uh, you know, in the movie, he says, may the force be with you. Uh, and so even George Lucas in this whole scenario of uh, Star Wars, he understood that there was a force that was needed to be able to accomplish whatever they were trying to accomplish. There's a dark side and there's a light side. And even Revelation chapter 3 verse 17 says, I would that you were rather hot or cold. He says, but you are in the middle and because you're in the middle, you make me want to throw up. I will spew you out of my mouth. God does not delight in people who cannot make up a mind on what side they're going to take. I feel him pushing me now. And something to the effect, the the Star Wars series says, when Luke Skywalker is standing, Obi-Wan Kenobi says to him in this off to the side uh, imagery, he says, Luke, use the force. The force, Luke, use the force. In other words, don't try to live life for you selfishly on your own. That's impotence. But when you cap into the purpose of force, you have the question of it. Question it? Yes, that's fine. But realize your qualification and understand that there's going to be a quarrel from it, but stand in your quandary. Handle that matter. What kind of person am I going to be? Am I going to be a person of force or am I just going to sit on the couch like a potato and do nothing. We all need force. We all need that passion and desire to believe in something so much, to want something so much that we act on it. Let a parent see their child in trouble. I bet you they will react with force. You've got to look at the world like your own children. You've got to look at the world and suffering as if it matters to you. The Bible even says, you know, people often say, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. The people next to you who are suffering, we must take care of one another. Galatians 6 says, bear ye one another's burdens. In other words, you who are spiritual restore such who are weak. You've got to look at situations and say, I'm here for a reason. In other words, kick in the action. Use your force. I came to talk to some people that this non-incandescent, blasé, fair, indecisive resolution to no other way but your own, it is not of God. And you must change this perspective and this demeanor you have where all you live for is you. Action occurs by force. Change occurs by force. You want a better marriage, then you got to act on it. Where is the aggressiveness in your life anymore? Where is the force of your love? Come on, I'm talking to somebody. Does your love just only speak or does it have action that comes with it? For someone, where is your force for your career? Where is your force for someone you love? Where is your force for change? This world never would have been better if we didn't have Martin Luther Kings or other great people who uh, have served on the Supreme Court and great women trailblazers who have made difference in, in our world. You, where is your force for equity? Where is your aggressiveness for justice? Where is your desire for new beginnings? Jesus is asking all of us, what type of generation will we be? Will we deal? everyone else at fault? In other words, standing on TV or standing by your cell phone or standing in your house judging everybody, saying it's his fault. It's the white people's fault. It's the black people's fault. It's the court's fault. It's my daddy's fault. He wasn't there. My mama spanked me too much. This is not force. The life of blame is not the life of force. The life of force is the life that reckons with the wrong that's been done to your life. 
life. In other words, it uses the trouble you've gone through as energy to feed the change you want to see. We will deem everyone else at fault and not accept the fact that things just don't go our way sometimes and that has to be okay. It has to be okay that you were divorced. It has to be okay that you lost the job. It has to be okay that you put on extra too many pounds or you will you jump in the fight for good? Will you sit there and relegate it to everybody else's slaughter? Will you jump in the fight for peace? Will you jump in the fight for love? Or will you jump in the fight for change? God needs people of force. And that Point. The point is, who better to know what force looks like than us? The church knows force. The Romans came against the church when the church was preaching the gospel. We know what it's like to be under siege. Then the kingdom suffered violence. They know what force in opposition looks like. We've seen others force against us. Haven't you seen it? Haven't you seen people turn against you. We've seen the force of hate. We know what hate can do. We've seen the force of divorce and what it does to your children. We've seen the force of poverty and what it does to communities and cultures. We've seen the force of lack and loss. We've seen the force of despair. We've seen people on TV who have no hope whatsoever. We've seen the force of being laid off and you can't make ends meet and fouling for unemployment. We've seen the force of foreclosure. We've all seen the force these things can have on us. We've seen the force the enemy applies toward us when we begin to live our lives according to the word of God, to the best of our ability. Haven't you said, just when I start living saved, then all hell broke loose. Now let us take what has happened to us And use that as a force against those who forced themselves on us. (laughs) The kingdom suffered violence so we could learn what force was like. So we could turn that force into our force. That we now are filled with the force of God. The spirit of the living God. And we can take that force. Even when it's for good. Relentless people will want what they want from you. And they want it by force. People will manipulate you. They want what you want. They will take from you, force it from you. Don't get bitter, get better. In other words, take that as a learning experience. Yes, you took me, you took my love, you manipulated me, and you thought it was helping you, but it was destroying me. But what I've learned is how to use that force and turn it around. Let us be a generation of force. Let the world feel our force of love. Let the world feel our force of nonviolence. Let the world feel what it's like to be a church and a people of empathy. Let the people who are struggling with abortions learn that the church has compassion. Let the gay and the lesbian community know what it feels like to have believing folk love them, to show up with them, to go to their house at a party to say you're still my friend even though you're a part of that community. Let the world see the force that we have. I have more force by loving you than I have by fighting you. All of these things are a force and you can change the world with love because love is a force that the darkness cannot contend with. And I'm not saying that you won't have some discontentments. I'm not saying that you won't have some things that go awry. But I'm saying there's a force as an undercurrent that underneath all that you go through is the steadiness of God where you can stand upon his promises and even if you get knocked down, you'll rise up again. But not saying anything sometimes is a force. The Bible says Jesus went to the cross dumb as a lamb, silent before the shearers, 
Silence can be a powerful force. You think, I just got to say it. I just had to say it. No, you don't. There's more force sometimes in your quietness because the power of God is in the humility of our spirit. And if you can learn how losing can make you win, that is a force that you must learn to embrace. God, give us our force back is my prayer. We have suffered the force of others for too long. Now let us force our way into your will and your purpose. Wake up tomorrow saying, I'm forced to be here. I'm forced to go to work. I'm forced to love this man. I'm forced to love these children. I'm forced to go to this job. I'm forced to lose this weight. I'm forced to stop drinking so much. I'm forced to stop abusing something. I'm forced to live with God because he has promised me that after we've suffered for a while. He shall settle us and establish us and bring us to his presence. This text today has been about the power of God's force. In Jesus' name, give us our force back. I'm PC, and that's all I've got.